You know, history tells us that there was a man named Sandhu Singh who worked in India to train missionaries to evangelize the entire country. He was brought up in the religion of Sikhism, but he converted to Christianity early in the 1900s in spite of persecution from his family. They were angry at him switching religions, and his brother tried to poison him to eliminate him. He was later on baptized, and as a part of his renunciation from, from the religion, he cut off all of his hair, which apparently is something that, I mean, that is the last thing, that's the last straw. In the midst of his transformation, he worked hard to, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout India in a way that was culturally accepted. It was reported that he carried no possessions, nothing but a little bit of money and just a New Testament. And he was the one that would take the reports of life transformation and he would put them, he'd write down the events and eventually he put them in an old Indian hymn, which was arranged later by, by others in the United States in a format that we sing today. Here's the hymn. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though I may wonder, I still will follow. Though I may wonder, still I will follow. Though I may wonder, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. I want to take for a title for the message today, No Turning Back. No Turning Back. By way of quick review, I want to re remind you that the book of Hebrews was intended to encourage a group of brand new followers in the Jewish community, Messianic Jews, to continue in their faith in spite of being faced with severe persecution. This group of Jews had embraced the truth that the gift of salvation was made available to them through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And, and as we journey through this, through this book, it's critical for me to remind you again that the focus of this book is not about salvation. It's not about salvation. It's about sanctification. And so the writer is speaking to them as if they are already true followers. And he urges them to demonstrate their true faith by their commitment to endure hardships in the face of persecution and suffering. The tenor of this message suggests that many, there were many who were professing to be followers and had begun to contemplate going back, returning back to Judaism. And so it's with this in mind today that our passage is a reminder to us that if we have truly decided to follow Jesus, there is no 
turning back. Today I'm going to I'm not going to read the entire passage. I'm going to I'm going to take verses out of the passage, but what I am going to do is I'm going to lift from this passage three themes that I believe emerge from this passage. Three themes, and here's the first. I think it's obvious. It's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning at verse 11. Chapter 5, beginning at verse 11. The preacher writes, about this we have much to say. About what? Let me go back to last week and tell you what he's talking about. Remember last week I said that Jesus Christ is our great high priest who came after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, and I explained to you, you know, who Melchizedek was and why his, his priesthood was so different from any other priest of, uh, before him. Okay, and so, and so the preacher is saying here, he says, listen, about that, this is hard to explain. Watch this now, since you become dull of hearing. For though by this time you are to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, constant practice, constant practice to discern good from evil. Now, the, the picture that, that, that the preacher is wanting to draw here is, is a picture of a full-grown person that is still wanting to suck on a sippy cup. Not just a regular sippy cup, but a Chuck E. Cheese with the spinny thing on the top sippy cup. Here's the image. Here's the image. You know, hey, man, you know, uh, don't you want to get rid of that cup? Trade it in for some steak or something, man, you know, some solid food like potato. Man, are you kidding me? Your sippy cup, are you kidding me? Do you know what's in this cup, bro? Sippy cup, oh, sippy cup. Oh, who wants who wants milk? Who wants meat? Who wants potatoes? Who wants solid food when you can have a sippy cup? <laughs> That's the image that the preacher wants us to see. He says at the time where where you need to be eating solid food instead, you would prefer to drink milk. Those around you continuing to grow and develop, recognizing there's something wrong with them and others if they stay in the same spot that they're in. But you're still sucking on a sippy cup. Listen, if you are just as unskilled in the scriptures and in the word of God this year as you were last year, then something is wrong. Mm, quiet in this Holy Ghost-filled church. If you're no more mature in Christ this year than you were last year, there's something wrong. That's what the preacher wants us to see. 
Here's a key statement for you I want you to remember as we continue. Sinners wallow, saints follow. Sinners wallow, saints follow. And if you're a true follower of Christ, the next point is it's time to stop wallowing. It's time to stop wallowing. You know, there's a passage in in Proverbs that Peter echoes. He says, it's a, pro- it's a true proverb that this happens to them. The dog returns to his own vomit and the saw, the sow, after washing herself, returns to the wallow in the mire. Says a true statement. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about those who have professed Christianity and have been led astray by false teachings and wanders back to their old ways. So it's like a, a sow returning to its wallow and a dog returning to its vomit. Have you, ever, have you ever seen a dog vomit and then, like, start eating it? How many of you seen that? Enticing, isn't it? It's nasty, right? First time you see, it's like, oh, look out! You don't even want the dog to eat its own vomit, right? The preacher said, it's, if, you, if, you, if you go back to the things that you were doing, it's like that. He says it's like a, it's like a sow returning to its wallow. Now, I know many of you already know this because I've, I've said this time and again. I was born and raised in North Pole, Alaska on a farm. We had, we had all kinds of animals, man. We had ducks and geese and, and rabbits, and we had some things we didn't want. We had hogs. We had goats, right? We had a hog. This hog, we called him Mother Pig because this hog was like years old, and, man, every, every year it seemed like she was having another litter of pigs, man. So we called her mother pig. This hog weighed like 750 pounds, and that's no kidding, right? And so this hog was like a pet to us. This hog would, would walk up to the bus stop along with the goat and the two dogs, and it would meet us at the bus stop and walk us home. <laughs> I kid you not. You can't make this stuff up, man. Right? And so this hog was like, was like a pet to us, right? And it was too big to, t- to take in the house. But now imagine this now. Because it's the nature of a hog to go back to a swallow. Imagine us trying to clean up this hog and expecting it not to go back to what it's used to. A hog will return to its wallow. And you know what? Enjoy it. <laughs> Again, this passage in 2 Peter speaks to those who are led astray by false teaching and wander back into their old ways. And here's the point. The point is that those who have escaped the entanglements of false teaching and then return to it, it's like a dog returning to its vomit and a hog, a hog returning to its wallow. So here's the point that the preacher is trying to make here in this passage for us. He says, stop trying to make up for your own sins. Remember, he's writing to Jewish people who are being pressured by Judaizers that want them to go back and revert back to their old faith. He says, he says, listen, stop trying to make up for your own sins. You can't do it the old way anymore. You can't lay again the foundation of repentance from dead works. 
You cannot go back to the acts of purification. Stop trying to focus on making up for your own sin. Don't concentrate on your unrighteousness. Focus on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then he says, your works, your righteousness cannot save you. You've embraced the truth of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. His shed blood has purged you from your sins once and for all. Jesus tells us in John chapter 8, verse 30, he said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And then Paul writes to us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, now, now that you're free, stand fast in that liberty wherewith Christ has made you free and do not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. You cannot go back. You cannot go back. It's impossible. Now, these next few verses of, of, this, of this passage of Scripture have been hotly debated by many years, but I'll tell you, by greater minds than mine. And there are several different interpretations of these next few verses, but I want to raise two of them today for your consideration. Because not only do I believe that both of them are accurate, but I also believe that they both pertain to people who are professing to be Christ's followers. Listen to what it says. And here's the key. Here's the key. People that are professing to be Christ followers. Listen to what the preacher says. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit to have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them once again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding them up to contempt. Now, some people believe that this passage is talking about and teaches that a true follower of Christ can lose their salvation. But again, this, this book, this message isn't centered around salvation. It's centered and focused on sanctification, and so I disagree that the, that the preacher is trying to, to get us to buy this interpretation, and I, and I disagree for two reasons. First, there are many passages of Scripture, family, that oppose this position, passages that assure that, that our identity as true followers of Jesus Christ makes us eternally secure. Listen what Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, verse 29. He says, my sheep, my sheep. Everybody say, my sheep. This is Jesus talking now. He says, this is Jesus now, the Son of God. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. and They follow me, and I give them eternal life. And they will not perish, and none will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And so I don't believe that the preacher is contradicting eternal security for the, those who are followers of Jesus Christ or that they can lose their salvation. But I do believe that this passage offers both encouragement and a strong warning to true followers of Christ. And I also believe this passage today 
to be pertinent to those who have claimed to have once believed, to claim to have once believed, and then turn their back on the truth, abandoning and, and renouncing what they say they once believed, and, and then defecting from their profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Let me deal with both of these issues one at a time. First, for the follower of Christ, you cannot receive salvation again. You can't go back and receive salvation and be justified all over again. You know, let me, let me, let me, make, let me make it this way. Let me say it this way. You're walking along, you're a sinner, just going about life, and you come face to face with the cross of Jesus Christ, and your life changes exponentially from that point. You're enlightened, you taste the heavenly gift, you become a partaker of the Holy Spirit, you taste the goodness of the word. You become partakers of the, of the true covenant. You cannot go back and receive salvation again because you are already justified before the Father. You're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what the preacher wanted me to see today. Listen. When I was coming up, I came up in a denomination that if you sinned, you had to go back and get saved again. So every week, I sinned a lot back in the day. Every week, I had to go back to the altar and ask God to forgive me and save me again. It took me years to grow in my faith. Because every time, listen, every time I take two steps forward and go back again, it was like I was saying to Jesus, your sacrifice for me is not enough. I've got to go back and repent of my sins all over again. It wasn't until I came to understand that the the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the efficacy of that sacrifice is once and for all that I began to grow in my faith. It wasn't until I realized that there's no need for me to go back and try to receive salvation again because I was already justified. I just need to work through the process of sanctification. When I realized that, Everything changed for me in my growth and maturity as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so the writer here urges those who profess to be followers of Christ to live out their genuine profession by refusing to return back to the old practices, refusing to believe that I now have to offer up sacrifices once again for sin. Jesus Christ paid the price once and for all. Second, this passage addresses those who believe that they embrace the truth and have not. <laughs> and just like today, there were many who had, who had genu genuinely come to faith. But listen, there were some who had professed to be followers of Jesus Christ and indeed were not. 
Scripture tells us that, that God reigns on the righteous as well as the unrighteous. And so it's entirely possible for, for those who are followers of Christ and those who are non-followers to experience, watch this now, the common grace of God poured out on all of humanity. It's possible. And when this happens, the experiences that, that are enjoyed by those who are righteous the unrighteous believe that they share these same things in common. I'll show you how this works. First, and this is what the preacher says, first, the righteous have been enlightened. The unrighteous might believe that they've been enlightened, but they have not. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, he tells us, he says, they had some knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, but the God of this world has veiled their eyes and prevents them from embracing the true light of the gospel. Second, the unrighteous may believe they may have tasted the heavenly gift. They may have tasted it and they may have shared in the Holy Spirit, experiencing them, his, his draw to God, the Holy Spirit drawing them. They may have tasted the goodness of the word of God and received the invitation to relationship with Jesus. They may have tasted these things. It's possible. Listen, I've, I've, I've brought people to church with me that, that have experienced the, the manifest presence of God to the point to, to where they wept in the presence of God, but they walked out of the church without life change. It's impossible it's possible to encounter the presence of God and not be changed. It's possible. So you might say to me, Pastor, how is this possible? Well, listen, I can tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how this is possible. I'm not sure how someone can, 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 can encounter the presence of God and, and be in a place where enlightenment is falling and revelation is falling and, and they not embrace the true gospel. I don't know how this happens, but I'll tell you what. Jesus Christ, when he was speak, speaking his, to his disciples in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 said, there's going to come a day when those who are professing to be followers of Jesus Christ, followers of me, are going to hit the reality that they're not. Listen to what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Listen to me, family. It is possible for a person to have something that genuinely represents or looks like it represents authentic relationship with Christ without genuinely knowing him. In other words, it can look like the real thing. It can sound like the real thing. It can raise holy hands like the real thing and not be the real thing. And here's the danger. The danger is when temptation and tests and trials come and they test our faith and our commitment to Jesus. The danger is that if what you don't have, it was what you have is not really real, when the storms of life come, the wind blows and the floods and the storms rise, 
you'll be swept away. That's the danger. So clearly this passage is a stern warning to those who reject the gospel of Christ after having experienced an understanding of the gospel. I love what New Testament scholar Dr. Ken Hughes says about this. He says, the, impossible, the impossibility of restoration comes because when they reject the offer of eternal salvation, they are saying that the sacrifice of Christ is bogus. And in doing so, it's like holding Jesus up for public contempt and crucifying the Son of God all over again in an act of obstinate hostility. So the question is, will God pardon those who truly repent? Absolutely. He absolutely will. But it is possible for a person to so resist the grace of God that they arrive at a state of mind and heart that makes repentance for them impossible. You say, well, how do I know this? Well, I know this because it's not, it's not that, that God is, is unwilling to, to bring them to repentance, but it's impossible for that person because their heart has become so hard after refusing over and over again to repent. And I love what the Apostle Paul says about this. He makes it very clear. He says, he says, in Romans chapter 1, verse 28, he says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, I love what the King James Version says here. It says, Seeing that they would not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them up to a debased mind, a reprobate mind, to do what ought not to be done. Strong words. Strong words. Have you decided to follow Jesus? The remainder of our passage today moves from Stern warning to stop wallowing to strong encouragement to start following. Let's pick it up in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. The preacher says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, and you still do. The preacher says, listen, he says, you don't fit the description of a wallower. He says, in, in fact, I'm confident that that's not the case for you, and here's how I know. Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 7, verse 18, Jesus makes this statement. He says, a tree is known by his fruit. He says, your lives are are exhibiting the fruit of righteousness. The reference here to, to better things is an indication that, that these people had been living out, they had been fleshing out the gospel. They had become trees of righteousness. How do we know this? First, because they're not idle. They're not sluggish. They're not lazy. They are working. 
And so he tells them, he says, God sees your work and your concern that you have for each other, the way you treat each other and the way that you treat the world around you. And in essence, your lives, your lives are a living demonstration of God's divine grace that's now at work in you. Listen, family, the same should be true for us. Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Second, the preacher points out that the love that they have for each other causes them to minister to one another and to serve one another in times of need. And he says, listen, this has not gone unnoticed by the Father. This has not gone unnoticed by the Father. Your act of love is a demonstration that, that you are growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, earlier you heard Tammy talk about how the church family rallied around her in her time of need when she couldn't even lift her arm. People calling her, wanting to bring meals to the point where she couldn't even accept them. She already had all her needs provided for. That's how the body of Christ demonstrates love. You know, my wife is homesick today. She's been in the bed pretty much for the last three days. And I'm not feeling very well either today. <laughs> Pastor's a, a trooper, though, you know. Just don't get that twisted now. Pastor, Pastor you know, he can get up and do his thing. But, but listen, I wasn't feeling good yesterday, man. And, and so I'm down. I'm in my scrubs. You know, I got my T-shirt on. I'm sitting down in front of the fireplace wrapped up in my blanket. I get a phone call out of nowhere. Hey, PG, heard you were sick. Hey, man, how did you hear I was sick? I heard you were sick. That's all you need to know. <laughs> heard you were sick, man. We are two minutes away from your house, literally two minutes away from your house. We are going to bring you some food. We're not going to stay. We're going to bring you some food. We're not staying, man, but you're going to answer the door. Answer the door. We're going to give you some soup and some rolls. Oh, man. You talk about a blessing, what a blessing in our time of need. And that's, that's, this is what the preacher is saying here. He says, listen, God has not overlooked your work and your labor of love. He's seen what you've done and what you're doing. And then he says, continue doing what you're doing. Continue to model this godly behavior towards each other. Why? Because in doing so, what you're doing is you're becoming imitators for those of those who have gone before you and imitated godly behavior. Perpetual Christ-like living. Now, I want to be careful of one thing because I don't want you to think that, that these verses are supporting salvation through works because it's not. Instead, I want you to remember that Jesus says a tree is known by its fruit. You see, kingdom work is the normal fruit that we can expect from followers of Jesus Christ. Kingdom work is a product of a transformed life and not the other way around. See, you're not transformed because you serve the kingdom of God. You serve the kingdom of God because you have been transformed. word tells us today that as transformed followers of Christ, we are the heirs of his righteousness. God is our father, and because of that, we can expect to receive his promises. The passage today tells us that the promises of God are sure for us. How do we know this? 
because there are two immutable qualities of the character of our Father, and that is he cannot change and he cannot lie. He made a covenant to, to Abraham, the father of our faith. And then on top of that, on top of that promise, he swore an oath that because there was no one greater, he swore by himself. And so as transformed followers of Jesus Christ, we become the spiritual offspring of Abraham. And every promise that God has made to him is available to us. And his promises, family, are sure and they're secure. Lance, you can bring the team up. So when the storms of life hit us and doubt and uncertainty hit us, and they will, we have this hope that allows us to anchor down in the truth. Verse 19 and 20. The preacher says we have this as a sure, steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as the forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Here's what I want you to get. Don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this. He is our great high priest. The cross is the sacrifice. The promise is the rest. The cross is the sacrifice. His promise to us is that we get to enter into his rest. Jesus Christ, our great high priest, is the hope of that rest. He's the anchor of our soul. He knows what we need him to know. He is who we need him to be. He's done what we need him to do. There's no, there's, in him, we have no need because he's there when we need him most. I want to close with the, with the final stanza. With this hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. And it goes like this. Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? No turning back. No turning back. Bow your heads with me. to speak to you on two fronts today. In a few minutes, we're going to take communion together as a family. But listen to me, maybe you might be here for the first time recognizing that you have not surrendered your life completely to Jesus Christ. You can do that right now sitting in your seat. Scripture tells us that God's word is nigh, it's near us, it's even in our mouth and in our hearts. It's the word that we speak, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. It's that simple. 
you have not embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you've not embraced his saving grace, you do not have to leave here the same. All you have to do is open your heart. And maybe you're here today and for the first time you realize, you know what, I've been, I, I've been saying that I've been running for Jesus for a long time, but my life looks the same as it did 10 years ago, five years ago, three years ago. There's no change. I'm not asking you to question your faith. I'm asking you, have you ever received Jesus Christ in your life? Really wholeheartedly surrendered to him because if you haven't, you can and your life will change. Will you decide to follow Jesus today? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenges of your word and the assurance of your word. It stands eternally. And in your word, in the truth of your word, we have an anchor for our souls. 